Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm from California. Today with me is Bebe. Hi. Hi, Jason. Hello, dear listeners. I'm very excited. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, we have a very, very special guest, Dr. Tang Xiaoyang, I hope I'm getting the tones right, is the chair and a professor in the Department of International Relations at Tsinghua University. His research interests include political philosophy, China's engagement in the developing uh, world and global modernization process. He is the author of Co-Evolutionary Pragmatism, Approaches and Impacts of China-Africa Economic Cooperation, published by Cambridge University Press in 2020 and has published extensively on the Belt and Road Initiative. He completed his PhD in the philosophy department at the New School of Social Research in New York. He earned his MA in philosophy from Freiburg University in Germany and his BA in business management from Fudan University in Shanghai. He has also worked as a consultant for World Bank, UNDP, USAID, and various research institutes and consulting companies. Before he came to Tsinghua, he worked at International Food Policy Research Institute in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Dr. Tong. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jason and Abebe. Hi, Dr. Tong. It's, it's, so, it's so exciting to have you on the show. And I really, really enjoy reading uh, your book, The Co-Evolutionary Pragmatism. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. You know, I had to read the first chapter twice. Why? There's a lot of uh, information in that chapter. And in order for me to really grasp it, I had to read the first chapter twice. I read mm. the entire book, but the first chapter I read two times, mm. Dr. Tong, because there's a lot of information packed in each but, sentence. But, but, Thank let's, you. <laughs> let's not scare our listeners because the title seems like, you know, it's something really hard to read, but actually the words, the language flowed so nicely. It just draws you in. I'm, I'm reading it almost like, like a novel, <laughs> like that intense interest. It's intensely interesting. So don't be scared by the title. <laughs> Dr. Tong, I noticed in your book that each chapter you talk about a story of your experience in Africa. Could you give our listeners a sense of your field work and about your time in Africa? Where has your research sent you and what kind of Sino-African development projects have you explored? Yeah, I started to work on Africa around 2006 and 2007 when uh, a lot of emerging economies like China, India, Brazil, they also have uh, quite a strong growth of uh, presence and activities in Africa. So I was uh, I got uh, attracted by this uh, new phenomenon and then went to Angola and uh, Congo, Kinshasa for the first time in 2007 and uh, to uh, do research on how this uh, different uh, uh, yeah, emerging uh, economies working in Africa in this uh, very new, uh, very promising, but actually also in the past often like uh, Mm. frustrating uh, land of uh, development. And uh, then after 2007, then I published uh, something on China and uh, Africa. 
And later, actually, this trend of uh, uh, China's engagement in Africa has uh, been continuously growing. Yeah, so it also uh, attracted the attention of World Bank and also of other international institutions. And then I became a consultant for World Bank to study how China is uh, doing this, uh, uh, yeah, its investments and its aid projects mm-hmm. uh, in Africa. And then later and later, my research just extends as the Chinese engagements with Africa extend. Could you tell us about one specific project that stands out in your mind that you would like our listeners to know about? Like, what is the relationship like on this project between African agents and Chinese cooperators? Uh, what comes in my mind immediately is about uh, how China and uh, Ethiopia, they uh, co-established the industrial zone program in Ethiopia. Because in 2009, when I first visited uh, Ethiopia, I there was a Chinese uh, private businessman investing in uh, industry zone uh, and wanted to introduce uh, the Chinese uh, special economic zone model to Ethiopia. Mm. But actually, at that time, when I asked the official in Ethiopia's uh, 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 authority, he didn't know much about the zone. And he said that's just about a private investment project mm. and a real estate project. But after that, actually, then that Chinese uh, businessman keep uh, working on uh, Ethiopian government, uh, try to bring Ethiopian officials uh, also to the to China to see how this special economic zone look like. And also Chinese officials also then have exchange with uh, Ethiopian government to uh, communicate and tell them uh, what are the uh, zone, uh, what role the zone plays in development. And in the end, around 2013, 2014, Ethiopian government, they got initiative. They wanted to build uh, uh, their own industry zone program. And uh, their, uh, one of their ministers, uh, so Dr. Akabe, uh, yeah, he is uh, even uh, yeah, got permit to visit China on his private, on his personal passport. Mm. He told me in yeah, in an interview because he didn't want to get all this uh, diplomatic <laughs> arrangement. He wanted to see the Chinese zones uh, like uh, in, really in practice and uh, in their daily operation. Mm. And after he studied uh, the Chinese uh, zones, then he w- later went back to Ethiopia mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, yeah was in charge of designing the uh, Ethiopian industry zone program, uh, yeah with the Ethiopian uh, experts. So with that, then this uh, actually more Chinese companies then also invest uh, and uh, in this uh, Ethiopian industry zone programs, mm-hmm. and then we. Uh, Ethiopians then later have a dozen of industry wow. zones uh, helping the country to get industrialized. So this is a, a very interesting story of how mm. these both sides, they interact and uh, they have their, uh, each other's uh, uh, initiative then converged and actually beneficial for mm. each other. Yes, um, regarding um, your travels and your research in Africa, 
and also in your book, um, I, I get the sense of optimism that we do not often see. You know, when it comes to um, development in Africa, because you started the book actually with um, telling about stories from your childhood, how you think that you know, forty maybe forty years ago, um, other countries, other developed countries, looked upon China as they probably look about Africa now. So in your book, you you said just as the Economist magazine called Africa a hopeless continent at the beginning of the century, there were numerous people, both foreigners and Chinese, who just several decades ago considered China to have no hope. But this comparison between Africa's present and China's past underlies, you said, your research on China-Africa during these years. And so can I understand that you have a lot more optimism when it comes to Africa development because you've seen what have happened in China over the past few decades. Yeah, I think uh, this uh, story of my childhood mm. uh, gives me, shows me the opportunities mm. in Africa. But uh, uh, actually, I also have uh, seen a lot of challenges. Mm. So uh, for me, it's a rather balanced. I actually don't, I'm not uh, so op optimistic mm -hmm. as uh, some uh, like uh, Chinese uh, uh, actors because I can tell you that uh, in general the Chinese uh, actors uh, agents uh, they are more uh, optimistic than uh, the Western yeah, their counterparts mm -hmm. exactly because of this uh, history of rapid development during last 40 years mm -hmm. so all the Chinese uh, they uh, can see the opportunity. But however, uh, some may be more optimistic than uh, others. I would say I rather now in some more careful uh, yeah, the camp, mm. but um, not so optimistic on the short-term development mm. in Africa. Mm. However, I am convinced that Africa will in the end achieve this modernization and industrialization in the long run. Mm. And uh, uh, yeah, this uh, uh, change actually uh, like uh, what happened in China. This uh, is uh, actually uh, uh, the social uh, transformation mm. will is uh, actually uh, going on, mm -hmm. and we can already see this uh, some uh, the uh, yeah, signs of uh, improvement mm. of progress. But uh, yeah, it will experience a long period of fluctuation. Certainly, mm -hmm. um, may uh, yeah probably much longer than China mm -hmm. because of. Africa's uh, complex uh, situation mm -hmm. and uh, also its uh, vast uh, land size. Well, actually, I want, yeah. I'd like to follow up with that because you're talking about, we, we spoke with Dr. Sachs mm. recently and he pointed out that China is one nation which may have uh, helped it develop more easily, whereas Africa has more than 50 separate nations. How do you see these nations working together better so that broader infrastructure development projects can take place? And does China have a role in that? Yeah, certainly. I think uh, Dr. Sachs, uh, he's uh, right in seeing this uh, uh, yeah, challenge of uh, fragments, uh, yeah, fragmentation in Africa because uh, of the historical 
heritage. Africa something a very big uh, bottleneck is uh, this uh, yeah mm. fragmented uh, political system and social system, and also their economy rather is linked to their former colonial powers rather than mm. with each other. All this uh, actually hinder Africa to form a large market, as in China, and also to hinder their uh, common efforts to yeah, transform the continents altogether. And uh, however, I think China is. Uh, uh, also notice uh, these uh, problems, and uh, the China wants to help uh, Africa together to uh, overcome this uh, challenge. A very important uh, initiative is uh, to connect uh, like uh, different uh, African countries with uh, the transnational infrastructure. Like with the railway mm. between Djibouti and Ethiopia, and also railway between Kenya and uh, Uganda, and also some uh, like uh, the oil refinery, like in West Africa, then maybe that can uh, the, distribute uh, the products uh, around the yeah, several neighboring countries. Also, this uh, electric power transmission system, they may also cover like a trans, uh, the, uh, cross the borders. So the uh, Chinese, uh, they uh, slowly, but uh, also then substantially uh, moving this uh, transborder and uh, transnational infrastructure and uh, industrial product uh, projects in Africa. Yes, I actually have a question regarding the win-win situation uh, or this quest of win-win situation from China's side. Because when it, when we talk about Africa and China's engagement in Africa, I think a lot of people outside China are suspicious in the way that, oh, what does China want from Africa? And they might have their uh, reasons. They think we're after natural resources, like oil. Um, but I think on the China side, it's a lot more complicated than that. And we are hoping for win-win uh, outcomes. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more um, from how China sees China's engagement in, in Africa? So this win-win idea comes from the practice of development and modernization. What we see is, in fact, in mm. the process of China's modernization, most of the people, they uh, got benefited from this uh, uh, overall uh, development. Yeah, so the people, their uh, education, their living conditions, and uh, yeah, all these uh, things, they can see, they feel satisfied. And this is because of the power of development mm. of modernization, because it increased the mm. productivity overall many, many times. Mm. So you have, uh, that's also often the Chinese businessman said, we can make a mm. bigger cake. Then with this uh, bigger cake, then mm. uh, everybody can get a larger piece, mm. right? And uh, so this is also mm. China wants to do with Africa. If uh, you only stick to natural resources, then it's just a uh, traditional small cake. Then mm. it's uh, a zero sum, then you will take and uh, yeah, then others get less. Right. But right. Uh, China's 
Tencent wants to do yet much more than that because mm. China sees the industrialization and the, to have some common market. This Belt and Road Initiative aims to modernize Africa so that it not only the becomes a supplier of natural resources but also mm -hmm. become a market, mm. become an important partner in the value chain. Mm. With that, you can see that's exactly China's pressing problems now, especially in this decoupling, in this trade war with mm. the West. Then China faces pressure in market and also the supply chain uh, may be threatened. So China, if it can help also its development partners all together mm. to grow, then I think the benefits for China is much larger than just have this very primitive uh, yeah, raw material supplier. Extraction. And the same, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly, mm -hmm. only in extraction sector. And that's also in Africa's interest of uh, modernization. So that's why this common interests of modernization and development, it will guarantee this win-win. Uh, it, it will uh, yeah, have the, yeah, make the uh, it possible this win-win uh, mm. because of this uh, yeah, development uh, dynamism. It's it's mm -hmm. in its nature. Right. Yeah. You're listening to the bridge. I think one obstacle um, for uh, the Western world in understanding China is short-term thinking versus long-term thinking short-term planning versus long-term planning. The way China tries to do things, it, it often looks in, at the time span of decades, you know, at least, right? Thinking across generations. But I think that way of thinking uh, makes it difficult for other countries, some other countries to understand China's decisions. I mean, for example, I actually really want to talk about the title of your book, Co-Evolutionary Pragmatism, because, I mean, it sounds very serious, but when I thought more about it, I was like, wow, I can't find better words to describe this. You know, evolutionary, it, it sums up the way countries and cultures develop. It's a constant changing process. And co-evolution in today's world, I mean, all the countries we're supposed to, all the people supposed to uh, evolve to a better stage together. And so that part is easier to understand. But pragmatism seems to mean different things for, for China and some, especially Western countries. I mean, if you think of the U.S., they think of more immediate gains. You know, it's like chess versus go. So pra being practical or pragmatic means something to the U.S. this way. But for Chinese people, for China, pragmatism means something else. Can you maybe tell us a little, little bit more about your choices for the title of this book? So thank you, baby, for the very thoughtful question. In first, I would say this uh, pragmatism, mm. that's actually, uh, I take it from the U American philosophers. Mm. Because uh, in the U.S., uh, the 
uh, like Pierce and Dewey, they actually constitute a philosophical school called pragmatism.、Mm. And it's not、uh, so superficial or shallow、mm. like、uh, the people usually think.、Mm. It has actually a lot of long-term vision and also profound meaning.、Mm. And I think that、uh, label can yeah be very appropriate to signify Chinese、uh, yeah, this、uh, principles and thought.、Mm. Because on the one hand, it looks to be focused on like utility. On this uh, uh, interest, so when Chinese work on the investment, work on infrastructure or trade,、mm. China also stresses on、uh, economic benefits.、Right. That's actually important part.、Mm. But however, then、uh, what's uh, in this uh, pragmatism is China is not only limited to this utility and interest. Exactly right. The same is about the. Philosophical reflection.、Mm. They see the uh something more and something behind、mm. this utility and interest.、Mm. So only maybe the pra-、uh, often just like the immediate practitioners, they only look at this immediate gain. The numbers, but as a、yeah. like. Yeah, the numbers.、Uh, yeah, to and、uh, it's、uh, usually just a short term. But、uh, for the like a strategist,、uh, also、mm-hmm. for the development, uh, uh, yeah, experts, we need to see that uh, this uh, like business practice, also these projects, they themselves they just、um, yeah look for interest,、mm-hmm. uh, look for capital gains,、mm-hmm. but、uh, for profit, but.、Uh, In, uh, when they are combined,、mm. they actually can drive a societal transformation,、mm. which leads to、uh, modernization and development.、Mm. And that's about the modernization. It's not about uh, uh, like just a grand、uh, ideology or some、uh, yeah, big action. That's actually prove to be idealistic or sometimes even disastrous.、Uh, like in this great leap forward, if、uh, You think modernization is just this quick, big thing that you even can lead to disaster.、Mm. Modernization exactly is based on this daily. And the numerous uh, uh, activities, and uh, so that's uh, why this uh, pragmatism that's important because it focuses on the small and uh,、mm. gradual uh, changes. But、uh, overall, then you see them as a uh, coherent mm. spirit mm. or guiding principle. They may lead to this coevolution of、uh, societal system. Yeah. So thank you for this、uh, question. Yeah, Doctor. Tong,、uh, in、uh, you actually talk about this quite a lot in the first chapter, and this is one of the things that、mm-hmm. I found really interesting.、Mm-hmm. Is you talk about exactly what you just said—the dynamism of the approach to、uh, mutual development between Africa and China—and、mm-hmm. that there is no single way to qualify a particular、mm-hmm. model other than. That it's evolutionary, that it、right. is dynamic, but China's own economy is changing too.、Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit about how China's own economy and its changes are affecting Sino-African development projects. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So because as I said, I started、uh, to do the research in 2006, and over the two now the 16 more than 16 years, I can see the evolution, co-evolution trajectory. 
very clearly. Mm. So in around 2006, that time, then uh, China indeed the focus on like trade, especially this importing of Africa's natural resources. But then later, then uh, China also discovered Africa's market, then started to export a lot of consumer goods to Africa. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after a while, then China also, when Africa actually this commodity boom lead to like economic growth in Africa, then uh, China also gave a lot of infrastructure there. But then uh, later, China also finds because as China's this labor costs, production costs, they are rising, then China no longer like the products made in China is no longer so cheap. So therefore, then Chinese businessmen started to invest in Africa to produce there. And then further later, then China now moves to like high technology. And a lot of Chinese high-tech companies, especially this digital and internet companies, they wanted also to expand their business like e-payment, like the e-commerce and also the <laughs> IT in Africa. So that also drives the bilateral uh, cooperation to more and more the tech oriented and uh, yeah the uh, made in uh, like manufactured mm. in Africa this mm. industrial mm. investment in Africa keep thinking uh, it's finding the way along the way instead of following a set structure of doing things i mean in chinese we have this very famous saying uh, which means wade across the stream by feeling the rocks underneath. And I think that can sums up um, the way China uh, does things in a lot of cases, because I think in the in the West, people like, you know, uh, written words or policies, very clear structure of doing something. But <laughs> things are a little different here. The process of uh, development is so much more fluid and integrating changes along the way. And I think that goes down to the depth of philosophy, uh, Chinese understanding of uh, impermanence and how there are always changes, constant changes all the time, <laughs> nonstop. But maybe that's a little leap, a little too deep for our discussion today. But in your book, there is this uh, one central point, as, at least in the first chapter, about the Washington consensus versus Beijing consensus. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about the de- definitions of each? Yeah, I think uh, the contrast you made uh, is uh, right. Although its uh, implication is very uh, profound. Mm. However, I have uh, two very simple uh, examples to illustrate the difference. Great, great. It's actually when is about the machine making or the rocket making. Mm. That's uh, the usually you say the plan and policy or something like a Washington consensus. Mm. It's actually a modern way of social engineering. It's uh, the uh, modern thinking manner. Mm. So thinking just uh, we do everything right, so precise as in the rocket. Scientific. And that, uh, yeah, scientific. And mm. then it will launch, will become very highly efficient mm. as machines, right. a sophisticated machine. 
machine. Mm. But however, in development, what we see is uh, actually uh, I use this example, a uh, soccer game. Soccer game. Actually, oh. when you yeah, a soccer game. Right. I see this uh, society working rather as a soccer game, and the transformation, modernization, it's like a training of soccer game. Mm. You are playing not like machines mm. because uh, that's because uh, you always depend on this uh, on others uh, thinking right. and you need to coordinate mm, mm. right you, you alone like uh, kicks or passes do not make a good kick or pass itself mm. you need mm. to depend on your teammate and even sometimes your opponents to do the things then it mm. will become the like good pass so right, therefore right. this is a much more interactive and uh, uh, yeah so the this is the human way and the societal mm. uh, nature but however in our modern society mm. because we have this scientific and technological uh, mentality right. that's dominating mm. so that's why more and more the more advanced countries mm. they tend to have this scientific manner mm. while China itself actually experienced this uh, dynamic and interactive process so therefore then the Chinese although not uh, totally theoretically summarized but this spirit of uh, cross the river by touching stones that's actually through Deng Xiaoping's uh, saying then is uh, mm. we are embedded in every Chinese uh, mentality mm. so we actually uh, uh, use uh, we uh, mm. so for our own development for the last decades mm. then we always are uh, used to uh, like experimenting and then to adjusting just like uh, the training or build up of a soccer uh, soccer game. I really like that illustration. You're listening to The Bridge. Can I ask a question about the Belt and Road? Because I noticed at the SAIS where you worked and at Aid Data, which is at William and Mary, mm -hmm. there is an enormous amount of Chinese development finance mm -hmm. in Africa, South uh, South America, yeah. Southeast Asia, all over the world mm -hmm. before and during the BRI, for example, uh, in Brazil. So my question is, what is the difference between the BRI itself and Chinese development finance? Because mm -hmm. How does uh, the BRI differentiate from just general Chinese development finance? Uh, actually, they overlap with each other. So China development finance uh, has uh, been there already as early as the uh, 1960s, 1970s, like the Tazara. They are also Tanzania Zambia Railway. That's also a part of uh, China development uh, finance in the older time. And then uh, in early uh, 21st century, then uh, China gradually increased the development finance like the uh, resource for infrastructure model with Angola and other countries. And uh, the more recently, after 2015, then this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, mm. that's just the new stage of uh, China development finance. So although Belt and Road, it's a much larger, broader term. It covers uh, financing, mm. but also investment, mm. trade, and cultural exchange. Uh, but then uh, we can see a large part of China development finance now like uh, categorized as a part of BRI, because Belt and Road, that's just also a very general term. Mm. Uh, yeah, as long as you work on countries uh, like uh, um, yeah, with this idea of 
of uh, infrastructure connection, with the idea of people to people exchange, mm. all the financing related to that, uh, you can label them as a development finance. So obviously, the United States, World Bank, and other institutions, and private institutions also, are also attempting to offer development finance, and there are construction companies involved in the developing world. And I was wondering if you see an ideal way for Chinese development finance and the BRI to work with these other institutions for the benefit of the people in the developing yeah, world. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I believe there will be a way, but I, yeah, currently I cannot say what's the, the ideal way is. It's like we are building a soccer game, a soccer team. <laughs> currently, actually, the team members, they are quarreling with each other quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, we know that for the last several years, this uh, debt stress and, uh, yeah, in this uh, like a uh, debt restructuring, then uh, the West uh, multilateral and bilateral institutes they have different opinions mm -hmm. from the Chinese uh, institutes. Then plus these commercial lenders they again they make uh, another category. So all this I think that currently the biggest challenge is they do not communicate with each other in a way of seeking. Uh, cooperation, mm. but rather like a finger pointing and blaming each other. Mm. This is actually will be will hinder them to find the yeah find this coordination. Mm. But I believe in yeah gradually they will they anyway have to work with mm. each other. And I, I want to keep talking about uh, the earlier point: Washington consensus versus Beijing consensus. Because I I think that the different ways of doing things, um, you know, between the Western and Chinese way is fundamental into uh, fostering better communication. Because I think the lack of understanding at this, at this level is very obstructive. I think another way of, um, I guess, describing the differences is also uh, what I found in your book. You were quoting, uh, quoting William Easterly. He, William Easterly distinguishes between two approaches to development that of planners and that of searchers. And um, I think the Washington consensus way is more like the planner approach, right? They set lofty goals such as, you know, limit, uh, this is from your book, page 10 to 11, elimination of poverty, designing aid agencies, uh, and administering plans and financial resources. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, Searchers look for practical opportunities and do not become fixated on unreachable objectives. And, and, and also by these definitions, this is on page 11, says China's gradualist piecemeal reform approach can be seen as a successful example of the searcher model. Now, I, this model, I mean, it's easy for me to understand as a, as a Chinese. I think it's almost part of, uh, uh, maybe it's part of cultural inheritance, but maybe it's harder for Jason <laughs> or for people outside China. I'm not too sure. Maybe for Western ways of doing things, they, they like to set things, you know, uh, on paper and know exactly which step to take. Um, do you see a way of cooperation in, in the future? Like, uh, how can we, 
understand each other better. Yeah, right. I you know? I know. Yeah. Uh, but however, I do not see it as a difference between cultures. Mm. I rather see it as a difference between uh the uh, established modern society mm. and uh, uh like a transforming society. Mm. So the um, way of uh, doing it scientifically of uh, giving rules uh, and uh, this very highly efficient uh, mechanism. Mm. This is uh, actually we can see it all in this very established advanced economy. Mm. And uh, China, in fact, they are also learning to do that. Mm. And more and more, the China, when you look at uh, China internally, it looks more like this mm. because uh, now we have uh, all this uh, uh, also laws, uh, regulations mm. quite much in place mm. with uh, uh, all this uh, technologies also helping this. Uh, so that's also why you, when you look at uh, the Chinese, uh, mm. this uh, business, uh, they are very punctual. And uh, uh, when you mm. have uh, rules, then you, they just uh, will get the result. And uh, while then uh, this uh, way of exploring and uh, experimenting, a lot of this is uh, in the process of uh, towards this, because you started from some mm. agrarian traditional society. I actually read uh, some uh, classic works mm. in 18th century. In 19th century, even Max Weber, mm. so that's a later 19th century, he complained the German workers they did, not, they did not follow the rules. They actually, right? So they actually also experiencing mm. this kind of chaotic moments. But however, the problem is when they now finally like reached this stage of mm. uh, establishment, then they forgot. Mm what they have uh, experienced and then want to impose this uh, to other developing mm. countries, other countries mm. in transformation. So this will cause problems. Uh, so in a way, you see this as different stages of development. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. I see. You know, I think one of the criticism that gets lobbed at China's participation in development initiatives in other countries is that a lot of people, especially non-academics who don't have a lot of information, mm. typically see China as an actor acting on Angola. So I, you have had the opportunity to go to Africa, to meet African leaders. And certainly the agency of African leaders are the ones who reach out to China and other institutions you know, around the world looking for uh, development finance aid and uh, cooperation, mutually beneficial cooperation. Could you elaborate for our listeners a little bit about the African side of this uh, puzzle, which is often erased from uh, public discourse? And what kind of things are they seeking and how do they see the implementation of a hydropower project, hospital school, or et cetera? Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, partly related mm. to what we discussed. Africa is so fragmented. So therefore, their voice is uh, usually small. And uh, also because of their development uh, level is uh, yeah, not so advanced, then they even tend to be neglected. Uh, also, 
another question, challenge is、mm. Africa society itself is quite diverse, and they do not have a very strong consensus regarding、mm. the topic regarding these projects.、Mm. So, for example, this Mombasa Nairobi railway, and then the while the former president Kenyatta was enthusiastic about it, but however. Then some like the truck drivers, they protested because they said, "Oh, this will take their business away."、Mm. And the farmers, they may also protest、mm. because、mm. they said the railway cross、uh. their farmland.、Mm-hmm. Even the new president, so former vice president、mm. Ruto, he also then、mm. now has、uh, some like、uh, negative views on it because he think now,、uh, yeah, with this、uh, controversy, he should be tough. On that project、mm-hmm. to to get more like a political capital and、uh, this will be good for the politics now. So with that, then the if Africa's、mm-hmm. voice they become scattered, and you can hardly、mm-hmm. find a, a very clear like a voice saying, "Oh, we just want that." So China has to deal with that. Uh, but China in, indeed has some difficulty because. Previously, China focused uh, only mm. on mm. the like uh, uh, sitting government, and、uh, but then more and more the Chinese they are also they also learned this cannot really always work. You need to work with、uh, the broader civil society with、uh, all various、uh, stakeholders in Africa, and there's a learning curve process for the Chinese engagement. I think the discourse. About China's involvement in Africa is really complicated, and the questions、mm. that I have come up with might not encapsulate some of the things that you are obviously、uh, more attuned to.、Mm. What other kinds of issues would you like to share with our listeners about the nature of Sino-African relations? Pardon, you mean this?、Uh, what kind of nature? Which、uh, particular? Economic engagement. So, what kinds of、uh, issues do you think get left out of the、uh, discussion vis-a-vis China's involvement in the Belt and Road in Africa? I think uh, the uh, currently the world、uh, doesn't、uh, see Africa's uh, uh, change, its trans- social societal transformation during this uh, uh, economic、uh, engagement. Particularly, I mean the as a Like、uh, industrialized market, people often just focused on big infrastructure projects,、mm-hmm. on like a natural resource、uh, mm-hmm. export, and、uh, maybe sometimes、mm-hmm. on some like、uh, the Chinese、uh, factory projects. But often that's just for export processing or、mm-hmm. for、uh, yeah or yeah like China relocate some labor intensive.、Uh, Factories in Africa, look at these big projects, but they do not see actually、mm. Africa's、uh, lifestyle and its social societal structure, the societal organizations, 
gradually changed uh, mm. with uh, rather numerous mm. uh, smaller investments and projects. Mm. I give mm. an example. It's like a Chinese uh, famous uh, um, cosmetic brand, Longlichi. Oh. They actually yeah, set up a factory in Nigeria. Really? Okay. They, uh, yeah, right. So they actually uh, compete with the big names like Olea, like uh, uh-huh. this uh, yeah, big international cosmetics mm. in Nigeria and becomes quite popular. Mm. And this is actually something to see uh, not only like from the production side, then Nigeria now has uh, employment, has factories, mm. but Nigerian also then they become, have this middle class uh, consumer life. Mm. Right, uh, so they because of before then it's uh, this uh, uh, cosmetics from Europe. They are uh, super expensive, mm-hmm. and very few people afford that. Right. But now with Longli Qi set up the local factory, and these products become more uh, affordable to the middle class. For me, then the mm. industrialization is not just about the production side. If you must at the meantime to see how their consumer mm. life and the market uh, distribution, circulation mm. yeah, yeah, booms as well. Mm. And I think more and more Chinese, uh, uh, especially this market-oriented uh, manufacturing and investments, they are stimulating that part. Mm. Yeah, growing middle class mm. and they provide a lot of... Uh, um, growing a middle class. To make the... That's always, I see... Uh, to make the Africans more and more specialized consumers, mm. because previously uh, Africans, they uh, a lot of discussion only about uh, Africa mm-hmm. workers, like <laughs> become specialized workers. Mm. But meanwhile, you need to become specialized consumers, mm. so that uh, when you produce things, you just sell within Africa. Mm. This makes uh, your market and the economy <laughs> become uh, like uh, make a good uh, virtuous cycle, mm. and uh, I. I think a lot of uh, discussion just seeing our oh, Africa and China how their economies are linked, linked yeah. like a supply to China or China's labor goes to uh, Africa or to relocate these uh, factories. But these things they are too big, mm. and uh, because of the distance and because of the gap of uh, development level, it's uh, currently there's a lot so much uh, challenges for this kind of of uh, mm. intercontinental uh, connection. Mm. But Africa, its own market and its own demands are often neglected. Mm. And uh, that's actually the Chinese uh, pragmatic businessman. Mm. What they discover, <laughs> actually, the Africa, they have uh, now with uh, the uh, development, uh, their people's uh, uh, need, uh, it's actually a very broad uh, and uh, yeah, uh, like a basis mm. for consumption and for their special market need, which are largely neglected, mm. and China wants to wow. fill that. Wow, it's, it sounds like a huge market. Yeah. And also yes. the brand you mentioned, is that Lonely Qi, is that the one with the snake oil? Yes, yeah, in China it's, oh, that, <laughs> it's famous that, for. It's yeah. so... <laughs> It's so cheap, but it's very, very um, easy. Like yeah. it's it's good to use. I use them in the winter time. It's very <laughs> moisturizing, and it's like 
50 cents a bottle. (laughs) So now your um, your way of presenting um, African development makes this whole thing seem so much more humanistic and it just comes to life. Because I think for most people, our understanding, knowledge of uh, African development, you know, is limited to numbers, how many dollars is devoted or these uh, huge structures. But a much, much more dynamic side of it is people's lives, how their lives have been changing, how their worldviews have been broadened and, um, you know, how, how much more lively it is. So I encourage people, you know, who are interested in this, you know, interested in development and also especially in Africa, which can be applied to other areas of the world to think of development this way, you know, instead of just focus on numbers and and thinking of um, uh, speaking of development um, in one of the interviews that um, I found on Juhu.com, you talk about um, the ultimate the quest of the ultimate uh goal of for humans i mean it sounds sounds grand um but i'm very interested in your opinion what is the ultimate goal of uh, human society i mean it's uh, a lot of people think oh um material development right economic development but of course that's just one stage of human development what do you think what's your vision of what lies beyond Mm -hmm. that Yes, that's really in my specialty of uh, philosophy study. <laughs> uh, because my uh, conviction is that uh, the modernity, exactly it's about uh, the change of uh, ultimate goals. Mm. And uh, in all the traditional society, no matter it's uh, ancient, ancient Greek or the medieval Europe or the Islamic or in the China Confucianism, Taoism, Mm. All of them, they were about, they said the ultimate goal of humans' pursuit should be something good. Mm. And uh, it's uh, the fundamental good, mm. right? Perfect good. Mm. And uh, no matter it's called uh, uh, God or Allah or yeah, in Chinese way, extreme good, zhishan, mm. or the Greek, uh, it's uh, called uh, eudaimonia, that's Aristotle's term. Mm. So it's all have actually refers to the extreme perfectness. Mm. Although it's not uh, reachable in human uh, world, but it's something for pursuit. Right. Human can pursue pursue for that. Right. While the modern society, as you said, actually the material progress and this becomes a very common goal or technological advance, mm. but there are also some views saying, oh, it uh, should be about democracy, about human rights, Mm-mm. and uh, yeah, other things. So it becomes very diverse. Mm. And, uh, and we get stuck. That's it. We get stuck at this level. Yeah, we get stuck. <laughs> right. People, all, uh, people say then we just need to tolerate this diversity, mm. right? And uh, this is also what John Ross, uh, his uh, idea about the mm. uh, democracy, liberal democracy should be. Yeah, you, everybody, you just yeah. personally maybe pursue your belief, but uh, in general, we just uh, allow this uh, diversity. Mm. And, uh, but that's actually about the loss of a fundamental goal. Mm. And uh, in Nietzsche's world, that's about uh, the death of God. Mm. That's uh, the, uh, the 
like like most critical problem of uh, modernity. Mm. But however, the modern uh, modernization has its logic mm. because of this pursuit of uh, this material progress uh, and uh, especially this uh, is caused by the idea of modern science. But that's another very long story, and <laughs> I'm going to spend my next ten years writing a book on that mm. on the modernized thought of modernization mm. and how why and how this goal has been changed but uh, that's uh, about uh, actually the ultimate uh, uh, problem of modernization so that's also my view why development it's important but actually it's like in Max Weber's uh, term mm. we are modernization and development uh, actually uh, it's like iron cage mm. yeah we are going to this iron cage like very scientific very mechanic mm. but it's not uh, really human right. and not humanistic mm -mm. and but however in our today's world mm. we have to develop mm. if we do not develop we will still want to keep our own traditional value then we already see during last 200, 300 years, we can't survive this modern society. So that's the puzzle of our modern, the dilemma of our modernity. Could I ask a more down to earth question? Would that be possible? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Could you, speaking of the African Union, do you think that that is going to be an effective institution for creating transnational cooperation in infrastructure development? Uh, they can help a little bit, the African Union. So, but they cannot help much. So the first uh, thing, of course, the African Union, it's uh, uh, relatively loose and uh, has uh, not enough uh, financial and uh, yeah, direct political, like administrative power. That's one thing. Mm. But also about uh, I, what I see in Africa is uh, a lot of uh, these uh, challenges uh, cross the border is uh, when you talk about a pan-continental like a free trade or pan-continental uh, mm. this uh, integration that's just uh, too far away mm. currently if they can do just the East mm. Africa Union mm. and also this static Southern Africa mm. integration in, as well as Western and uh, yeah this Central Africa if they can improve that substantially, that will already help a lot. Mm. But uh, what's uh, the problem is, uh, mm. like East African Union, they just uh, delay their integration agenda again and again. Just shows even in this regional level, you still have a lot of uh, uh, obstacles, mm. let alone this pan-continental level. Mm. It's uh, just a good vision, but not, uh, yeah, not much to do. I remember from our uh, interview with Professor Jeffrey Sachs, he said that his vision of African uh, development is at least 40 years. In the span of 40 years, um, at least, you know, in, in China, it took us 40 years to get here. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, at least for 40 years in Africa. Is that kind of the time span you are looking at, uh, Dr. Tom? Yeah, for me, then... Please. 
this kind of uh, first I may expect even longer because mm. for the next 40 years I think the a lot of these political uh, like obstacles are still there and mm. I also do uh, don't think the our society economic can see a lot of uh, unless there's a dramatic change. But exactly I about about this dramatic change, that's something mm-hmm. I think will give Africa a chance. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that Africa, they will just follow the Chinese uh, path, mm-hmm. uh, just as also the European or American path. Mm-hmm. I think there's some leapfrog effect, like China, when it, uh, during its development, it already sees a lot of uh, yeah, the lessons from the West. Mm-hmm. So therefore, including this, I think even the political system, mm-hmm. I can see China's uh, currently this uh, political system, they are actually learning from the Western lessons. Right, constantly. Because mm-hmm. they just see if you have uh, too much, like uh, give too much power mm-hmm. to the capitalist uh, class, right. it will right. definitely lead to a crisis in society. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why in China, this uh, capitalist class, it uh, actually is uh, constrained, but uh, mm-hmm. not totally suppressed. Right, but uh, right. there's some balance. Mm-hmm. I think Africa, during their modernization and development, they will also learn like uh, from China and uh, uh, yeah, the Western's uh, lessons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I cannot totally know, but perhaps uh, the environment uh, will be one thing, mm-hmm. or this uh, uh, I don't know, the population, these demographic uh, challenges will also be another huge issue. So I would rather predict Africa will achieve even some like uh, advance and some even leadership in global economy mm-hmm. through an unexpected manner. I, I just want to let me just. Add, add one phrase to what Dr. Tom was saying. And this echoes what your book said on here. I have it on page 13. It says, um, Chinese leaders reiterated the viewpoint that China does not have a general development model and does not recommend other countries to follow any models. And interestingly, the, the title of that section is A Model um, with No Model, <laughs> which goes back to the point of, um, you know, the uh, the Chinese way of Beijing consensus, yeah, but which I think is, a, is such an interesting topic. So hopefully, maybe someday in the future, we can get together again and talk a little bit more in depth about that. Mm. I find it fascinating. Absolutely. I, I really love your <laughs> book, and I'm going to probably be quoting it in something I'm writing myself, sir. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Very Dr. Tom. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Really a pleasure to talk to you. 